Hi, I'm Angela Ardolino and welcome to Your Natural Dog, my podcast featuring in-depth conversation with the world's leading holistic veterinarians and pet care pros. Join us every week as we reveal natural alternatives to the outdated, one-size-fits-all pet care model we're used to. If you like what you hear, please make sure to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. The only way we can get our message out to pet parents all over the world is with your support. Stop barking! I'm trying to record a podcast! And we're back with your natural dog and our very special guest, Carolyn Ingraham. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you. Good. I heard you're a little cold uh, over there in England. What part of England are you in? I'm in the Cotswolds, but not far from Bristol, so... Very, very cool. I'm so excited to have you here with me today. I love this word and I need you to tell us what the heck it is because this is your specialty. (laughs) I'm going to have to look at it. Zoo pharmacognosy for dogs. This is your specialty. What the heck is that? Okay. So it's a composite of three Greek words. And if you break it up, it's a lot easier to remember. Okay. So you think of zoo, uh, translated as animal for Greek. Okay, pharma, think of the pharmacy. So zoo, pharma, cognosi is knowing. So it's Greek for knowing. So it's really the animal knowing their own medicine. So zoo, pharma, cognosi. Another way to say it is animal self-medication. That's, <laughs> That's easy. <much> easier. <laughs> so... And the idea is that our dog's ancestors, right? I'm just guessing because I've read your beautiful site and you have a wonderful book on it also called Animal Self-Medication, which is a lot easier to remember, correct? (laughs) That's the name of the book? Um, One of my books is Animal Self-Medication and that encompasses all, all, all species, but species from elephants to tigers to dogs to horses to cats. Uh, a, a wide range of species that I've worked with, whereas my other book is Help Your Dog Heal Itself, which is really just focused on dogs. Well, that's my gig. I love that title because it's so true. Supporting them. Everyone's forgotten the immune system and what it can do. And if you support it, it's especially naturally what it can accomplish. Yeah. But the idea of this self-medication is that our dog's ancestors, when they needed, when they were out in the wild, they they didn't have an owner that took care of their, they had to take care of themselves. So they would go search herbs, most likely mushrooms, plants that would help them with whatever they were ailing from, correct? Absolutely. And I, I always say to people that if a caterpillar can self-medicate, because there's been a lot of studies, academic studies on caterpillars self-medicating, a dog can certainly self-medicate. So, you know, a caterpillar, for example, if they're infected with wasp larvae, they change their foraging from lupus um, to poison hemlock. But if it's fly larvae, this is how refined this mechanism is, this innate mechanism. If it's fly larvae, they change their foraging from lupus to plants rich in iridoic glucosides. And that's just the difference between if it's fly eggs or wasp legs. Um, but, you know, so it's that refined. That is amazing. I just yeah. read, I literally just read about yaks living somewhere in, you know, the mountains 
that were looking for cordyceps mushrooms, which is mm-hmm. the same thing. It's a fungus that gets into a caterpillar and they yeah. literally forage in the snow and dig in the snow to find these cordyceps to help them, which yeah. is amazing. I had, first of all, I had no idea that caterpillars were so important <laughs> to everybody. <laughs> well, it's, it's the scientists. What, what they're researching is anti-parasitic, you know, how animals deal with anti-parasitic remedies because we're so animals are so resistant to them. So there's part of you know, the research that has been done on animal self-medication is mainly on parasites. So you can find a lot of papers on that. That is but, such, yeah. that is so cool. And of yeah. course, this is right up my alley. And uh, being a cannabis expert, you know, we questioned because one of our first pieces of research that we got out of Italy was that dogs have more CB1 and CB2 receptors than any other animal Mm. so far, more than humans anyway. And it makes you go, why? Well, they were probably seeking out those hemp plants or hemp seeds Mm -hmm. or hemp flowers to help them with all kinds of things. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. This innate mechanism is needed for the survival of the species. And if an animal didn't have it, the species would have died out a long time ago. And people might question that, or they have questioned it and said, oh, well, these are domestic uh, animals, you know, surely they don't ha- know how to self-medicate. It's such an important survival mechanism that it would take tens of thousands of years for an animal to lose that innate response. And I think then where people begin to lose confidence in it is, uh, you know, think of an animal that might have eaten a poisonous plant. In those cases, it's it's usually a plant where an animal um, hasn't evolved. So if um, the remedies that are offered to the animals have been in their evolutionary history, they have the detection mechanisms and the detoxification mechanisms to recognize that plant and be attracted to it when you know, their health is you know, either physical or uh, mental health, you know, if they're stressed, then if there's CPD or, you know, if there's a physical problem, then they select other remedies. Yeah, so, so they have this innate mechanism, but you know, if, if it's something like you know, antifreeze, they haven't evolved with antifreeze, or, you know, if it's um, chocolate, with chocolate, uh, the cocoa comes from the tropics anyway, and, and the ancestors of the dog, it didn't evolve in the tropics. So they didn't evolved with these plants. Now, essential oils, should I say essential oil-bearing plants, are some of the oldest on the planet. And they were around before the continents divided. So animals would have learned to use them to bring themselves back into health. So when I see, you know, on the internet, you know, essential oils are dangerous for animals, I'm thinking, what? uh, Under what context? Are you... Are you talking about if you overdose them with them, if you you know, put it in their food or inject them with it? Because if they're working with smell, you know they are very specific how much they want to inhale, how much you know before they then you know walk away and they alternate with their dose. And if the condition is very severe with some species, they may lick a few drops, but that's only birch and German chamomile. And those are those are the main remedies that certain species, not all species, are attracted to licking 
if the condition is really severe, their medicines, you know, and, and as the condition clears, there wouldn't be interest in them in, in, to that extent. But most animals, most dogs, should I say, work by inhalation. And just those aromatic molecules is enough. It's sort of like a gas to bring themselves back into health. And you can find out so much information by what they select. Yeah, I'm a big fan of essential oils and plant medicine and adaptogens, um, which led me to cannabis. But yeah, I hear the argument all the time. Mm. Uh, just about every single day, mm. I get an email or something that says, my vet says that THC is going to kill my my dog or my cat. Mm. And what we need to remember is that you may buy something online called a lavender oil or a full spectrum oil, hemp oil, and it probably isn't that at all. So those things are toxic and will cause damage to your animal, but not a pure essential oil. So, and if you're wondering what those are, you're one of the experts in the field that will be able to tell you that there are very few. Don't get your information from a random source on internet because it's not true. Um, When I put lavender essential oil in my calm tincture. Oh my gosh. What about the cats? Oh, can I tell you a story about cat? Yes. Because the cats are so close to my heart because I have seen so many cats be relieved of so much suffering, pain relief. I have too. Cancers by selecting the oils they need to bring themselves back into health. Because they are medicinal plants, then it's really important that they're just selecting the dose and the plant that they need. So you're not administering because then it's like administering perhaps the wrong medicine and that would be a problem or too much and that would be a problem. But, you know, this this case, uh, this one cat I worked with called Pepe had two weeks to live. Have you, oh. did you hear of that story before? Or uh-huh. that? Okay, she had, um, he had two weeks to live, uh, liver cancer, and the vet suggested putting Pepe down. She came for self-medication. The main oil that Pepe selected was lime oil, and that was by inhalation, and he wanted it quite frequently. Um, now, lime oil is out there on the internet. Don't offer lime oil to your cat. You know, it's poisonous. Da, da, da. Um, Pepe selected it for seven months. Initially, awesome. it was more frequent, <clears throat> and then as time went on, he took less and less. So it became daily, then weekly, then monthly. And at the end of seven months, his cancer had completely cleared. Now, along that time, she was having vet checks. And every time when she went for a vet check and um, I got an email from her, I thought she was going to say, you know, Pepe made it, you know, an extra so many, so many weeks or months. And she said, you know, that's super pleased, you know, we're making really good progress. But as he improved, that coincided with his selection of lime oil. So as he was getting better, he was needing less. And I was in America and giving a talk, and I had um, Melissa Shelton, um, who's the essential oils in my class, and she said, yeah, I said, where did this information come from about lime oil? You know, cats have evolved with lime. You know, they would recognize if it was harmful. And, and if they don't need it, they're just not going to select it. Like, we wouldn't take somebody else's medicine because it would harm us. But when we need it, it can cure us. 
And she said it came from a research study where lime oil was injected into the cat. Well, one, the cat probably didn't need it. And two, that's a massive overdose. If you did that with us, with anodin, for example, that would, you know, that would be an overdose. And you don't take anodin off the market, you know, or, you know, painkillers off the market or a certain drug off the market because somebody has been overdosed with it because it's needed to help others. And I feel that about the essential oils, you know, and the amount of cats, the second most popular oil that cats select is birch. Now, everybody throws their hands up in horror. You know, what are you doing offering birch? I've had cats be rehomed because finally they can be touched, they can be stroked. So many cats will select birch and you see them purring and um, which is a natural painkiller. In fact, so many animals select birch. Why are people, this is what I don't understand, why are people turning people away from this natural pain relieving remedy? I know, I'll tell you why. In harmony with the body, <laughs> and they're pointing them for having this fear with with a natural pain reliever. They're pushing them to Metacam, to Butte, you know, to to conventional painkillers that actually a lot of animals don't do well with. Some do, but a lot don't. I haven't come across any animal that hasn't responded well, and I've yeah, had great success with with birch. And you know, same I, here. It's actually, same. It's actually saved. I had a horse that had flipped over. He was a yearling, and as a result, he dragged his back legs. Aww. And uh, the vet said, um, "You know, either years box rest, or he's going to have to be put to sleep." So he had been like that for a month when I saw him. He was due to see the vet on the Wednesday, and he selected two mils of wintergreen uh, on the tongue by mouth. And then he had quite a lot, um, C4, C5 on the neck. He literally walked after that. I mean, his tail, if you put it to the side, wouldn't go to the front. Uh, sorry, go to the center. And that still was very slow and moving. Following day, he was charging around the field, took him to the vet on the Wednesday. And he said that I can see his hooves have been squared off. But I can also see that he's, you know, he's, there's nothing wrong with him. So whether wintergreen, because it's an anti-inflammatory as well as a pain reliever and bringing you know, healing to the area, maybe there was a pinched nerve, maybe there was a trapped nerve, but whatever it was, it was instant. And so for a horse, because of their enzymatic physiology, they're more likely to take an oil by mouth because they're, you know, they eat plants. So they will have those enzymes to break down essential oils. Whereas a cat very rarely eats any plant material. And so therefore, inhalation is the dose for cats. Oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. I love it. I love it. When you're working with dogs, omnivores, and bears, omnivores, but actually the bear will take more internally and the dog will take more by inhalation. But you look at their diet. So even though they both will select remedies such as spirulina, which horses rarely take because it's full of protein and horses don't have a high protein diet, you know, the bear will very often want to lick the oils that I've worked with, whereas the dog inhalation, but that, you know, that that reflects their enzymatic physiology and how they deal with plants in their life. Um, but as long as they're able to guide the dose via, you know, 
spending a long time sniffing an oil or sniffing it, turning away, sniffing it. That's how often they, very often they work that way. Um, cause they have, they have lots of little top ups. They don't usually take their dose of all in one go. Mm-hmm. And then when they're done, they turn away or they walk away, you know, and, and also it's very, it's so respectful because they're in charge of their treatment. And, and it's, you know, we, we don't hold the column. We don't put anything on them. You know, it's all on their terms. So they're free to walk away. And we say, hey, you know, we offer it to them and show them what we're doing. If they don't want it, it's not, you know, it's not applied if it was something topical, if you're making something for ligaments or something. Right. Uh, or seeing if they need anything on if they've got back pain, for example. Um, so, yeah, so a dog might take, um, say, uh, wintergreen or German chamomile or yarrow topically, whereas I'd never even go there with a cat topically. So, and again, that reflects their somatic physiology. And, and the results are amazing. You know, they bring themselves back into health, you know, from, you know, from life-threatening conditions to helping them, you know, with trauma, depending on what you're working with. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I've seen it over and over again here at my rescue and animals that I've had here where, you know, a thunderstorm rolls in and my Doberman would sit next to me and just look at the bottle like, I'm ready for that. <laughs> Give me some of that. Um, we have to take a short break. But when we come back, I would love to talk about how can pet parents maybe apply some of this with their own pets whether they're sick and whether they're not sick, what can we do to like for prevention or maybe anxiety or things like that? And then if we do have a sick pet cancer autoimmune, how do we let them choose and where do we start by knowing what to even offer them when we come back right after this? If you're like us, your pets are part of the family. That's why at CBD Dog Health, we created a line of human-grade, full-spectrum hemp products tailored specifically to your furry friend's needs. Whether they're suffering from fear of fireworks, arthritis from old age, or even seizures and cancer, research shows that a high-quality CBD oil can make a big difference for them. Enter coupon code RADIO at CBDDogHealth.com for 15% off your first order. That's R-A-D-I-O. CBD Dog Health, healing naturally. And we're back with your natural dog with Carolyn Ingraham. And we are talking about self-medicating, allowing our pets to self-medicate themselves like they did back when they were wolves and coyotes and had didn't have veterinarians that they could run to or pet parents they could run to to take care of them. And I find this conversation so fascinating I live on about three acres in the middle of the woods in Tampa. I'm right outside of Tampa. And I watch my Jolene, my one dog, go to the lemongrass and eat the lemongrass when she wants to. I've even watched her show other dogs the lemongrass where they were like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, kind of thing. And I totally believe in this because this is how they self-medicated when they were in the wild and how they knew what mushrooms to eat and what plants to eat to help them out. And it's a beautiful thing. But now, with our dogs that are inside, how do we even begin to know where to start to offer them? Is it we see them suffering from something and then find someone like you and do a consult and offer them different types of essential oils and herbs to choose from? 
Okay, so that's a, a good question. What I've put together is a course because I want to empower the individual. Awesome. How to help their own animal. And it really takes you step by step through everything so the person can feel really confident of what they're doing. And it's it's very detailed. There's lots of video examples as well in the course because, you know, it's not always easy working with essential oils with every dog. Some are to the book and you, know, you offer an oil and they turn around and sniff it and then they turn away and you know, some, some actually will go and pick out the remedy they need. But there's others that are very sensitive. And, you know, where do you begin? Because if you're offering the wrong oil, it's sort of, you know, you're offering something that they don't need. And if you do that too many times, they get fed up and they walk away. And so you've kind of lost them. But if you offer them something that they do need, and then you get it wrong the next time or the next time, they still stay with you because they know that you've offered something that makes them feel good. Um, but what I teach is how to get there um, very quickly. What are the signs? What are the, uh, what's the roadmap? You know, how, how do we know where to begin? Because it's a minefield otherwise. So if there's a problem that we know about, such as, you know, arthritis, then that's pretty easy. You, you go to the pain remedies and you offer the pain remedies. And sometimes they want it in a specific order. So if you're thinking, do you know, I just think yarrow, which is anti-inflammatory, they would have really gone for that or the German chamomile, but they're not. Try it again after you've done another pain remedy because sometimes they're very specific or sometimes they want the yarrow and German chamomile first, the anti-inflammatories, and then birch. But birch acts like a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, so it's more um, challenging to the gut like any other uh, non-steroidal. So if you offer the yarrow or German chamomile first, then that supports the gut. So you've got gut guard as well as being an anti-inflammatory. Very nice. So, you know, so if you know the problem, then you can home in with the oils. And where it does get really difficult is with behavioral problems. In the olden days, I used to work with a behavioral problem with behavioral oils, or I used to, uh, you know, and if there was a you know, urinary problem that you know, wasn't responding to antibiotics or an infection, then I'd offer the antimicrobials or the urinary oils. And, you know, it, it seemed very straightforward. But behavior wasn't, you know, it wasn't a lasting effect working with the behavior oils. You know, if I'm working with separation anxiety, for example, you know, every time that thunderstorm comes, then you're going to have to be getting out your kit. I want to get to the root of the problem and find out why is the separation anxiety, why is there noise sensitivity. So that's where I go in, and that's where the, what this course is about is, for example, if there's fear anxiety uh, or noise, sorry, noise anxiety, then I very often begin with remedies that support bladder urinary. If the animal is, has been spayed, and there's, you know, separation anxiety. Again, I will go into offering remedies that support the bladder kidney because sometimes being spayed can have a, 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 not necessarily a keyhole, but usually when it's cut, then there can be an inflammatory, uh, you know, adhesions that can 
tug onto the bladder a bit or, you know, so, so those dogs very often select the um, anti-inflammatory, the, um, you know, the urinary support oils. If it's a very fearful dog, male dog, for example, usually I find, you know, I'm going to go to gut first, but if they're always on the move or chewing a lot, um, very often I look and check just to make sure they're not in pain. And I can give you, yeah, and I offer the pain remedies. And then you see the behavior stop. I could go through hundreds and hundreds that are in my head of stories to tell you, some in America, some, you know, um, when, I, when I've done courses in America, as I'm speaking to you now, I'm thinking, okay, which story shall I? I know. I and that's with? what's amazing is that I mean, I've only been doing this for six years and I have hundreds of stories. I can't imagine. You've been doing this for, did I read 38 or 28? Yeah. 38 years. So you must have thousands and thousands of stories, which is what I love about it. How did you learn about this? And, And have you learned anything about how these plants interact with the endocannabinoid system? Like, how did you learn that this worked for that kind of thing? Well, I think it's all through observational research. Love. So it's, it's, and I'm learning all the time. So in the old days. Which I don't mean to interrupt you. It's so funny because, of course, I have a line of products. So everybody was like, where's your research? Where's your research? Then when I talk to holistic and integrative veterinarians, they're like, we don't care about the research. We want to know evidence. We want to know you gave it to this dog and it helped them this and then continue that. So I love that. Well, I do do back it up. So my initial information is, you know, dogs that have fearing anxiety very often select, um, uh, sorry, separation anxiety because uh, fear anxiety can be for many different reasons. Right. But separation anxiety and noise sensitivity is very often kidney urinary. So especially, you know, the afraid of, you know, fireworks, thunderstorms, then I go to kidney bladder. So, wow. um, and again, yeah, separation anxiety can have, have several different causes. So you would offer something that supported the bladder at the same well, time? For noise sensitivity, I would do bladder kidney. And I'll give you an example. You know, there was a dog that, um, and this dog hadn't had any trauma in her life. Uh, She had been spayed and she couldn't even cope with rain. And she would pant, you know, they had to wrap her up and protect her sort of T-touch sort of bandages. And um, they'd, they'd always result to veterinary medicine because nothing worked. And that's because we're, we have messed up their hormones. We've disconnected them. Their cortisol levels are out of control. So a little thing could be some, become something huge for a dog. Yeah, well, this dog, this dog wanted um, sandalwood. And he wanted, uh, she wanted sandalwood applied over the bladder area. And as it began to rain, and as the rain was coming down, totally calm and then now she can deal with fireworks she can deal with uh thunderstorms and actually when she asked me and said you know do you think you'll be able to help with all these things and shotgun and i thought yeah probably everything but i don't know about the gunfire and then she wrote to me and said we went out for a walk the you know there was gunfire and she went off with the other dogs in the woods and blades so she could even cope with gunfire 
Um, she's on my course, so um, we get little updates on Molly. That was Molly. But I've got hundreds of stories like that or, you know, dogs that – I just did a dog recently who seemed incredibly anxious and uh, the, behavior, the behaviors didn't know what to do with her. The owner didn't know what to do with her. And she was young and she had had her tail docked. And she would suddenly sort of go to bury herself in the sofa and then I noticed when I saw the video clips, she would do a cry and turn around as if she was sort of looking at her back. And it turned out that she wanted so much pain relief along her spine that, um, and that helped to resolve the problem. And she was, you know, she wasn't old at all. So because you saw her jumping off the sofa, you wouldn't think there's going to be a back problem. And sometimes when they run around a lot, it increases the endorphins and that helps them cope. And so, you know, the first thing when I saw her, I thought, well, I'm going to see if she needs any pain relief. And she did. And she went into a really deep sleep. So, you know, I worked with horses that were you know, wind sucking, grip biting. Mm-hmm. And if you think about what they're doing, you know, they're taking an air and when we're, you know, the breathing exercises we're told to use as mothers to, um, you know, help with pain relief. And it's, it's thought to be a, a vice born out of stress when they wince up or generally to do with gut problems. I offered gut problem remedies, not interested. As soon as I got to the pain remedies, the birch stopped wind sucking. And you could see both, I've got it all on film. But you can see both horses just falling to sleep and they have been windsucking all day. So wow. when you see that a pain reliever has stopped the anxious behavior or working on the bladder has stopped the anxious behavior, then you, you know that it's a physical problem. And the one way they can communicate to us is by their behavior. And the same with us. If we couldn't speak and if we've got a headache, we might be a little bit more grumpy than usual. If we're not feeling great, but we might look good, we might look healthy, we might be a bit more withdrawn or we become more needy. We will have more separation and anxiety. We're not going to want to face the world. And so with many behaviors that are, you know, out of place, I look to check the physical body and I make headway really quickly doing that. Of course, there's some behaviors that are going to be very challenging and born out of other reasons, but the majority are hidden problems. And my whole life work is really about animal. I don't want animals to suffer in silence. Me neither. (laughs) And being a pet parent and feeling like there's nothing you can do about it. It's one of my biggest reasons for, you know, after I've learned what cannabis did for myself and I learned all about it and the biology and therapeutic uses, I was like, every pet parent needs to have a bottle of this at home because whether it's your chicken gets attacked and you want to immediately get rid of that pain and suffering and stress, you can do it with a plant, all natural plant, and then figure out what do I do next? What do I act on next? Because I love that power. I love being able to know what they need. Um, and I just I just had Dr. Ruth Roberts here on my farm and she was like, this one's still in pain or experiencing pain. Yeah. So even being more sensitive to, because it's so true, you see them running around, playing, 
acting pretty much normal. They're just all of a sudden favoring one side or off a little bit. or Yeah, and you can see the difference between running around because it's anxiety. And that usually says to me, okay, is this something with the gut or is it with musculoskeletal? So that that's the direction I go. If they've been spayed, you know, not keyhole but the cut, you know, when they're sort of uh, a longer incision, then I go to bladder urinary um, and I begin there. It might be the gut that's the problem or pain that's the problem, but at least I've got a starting place to go to that I'm seeing what kind of behaviour is it that takes me to that uh, to the remedies I'm going to begin offering. But um, even though most of my research is observational, I have studied pharmacokinetics and pharmacology as well. So I can explain to you exactly how an anti-inflammatory works, so how yarrow works. It makes its way into the cell, and it uh, because it's an essential oil, it's fat-soluble. So water wouldn't necessarily do this, an aromatic water. But the essential oils, and this is why they're so medicinal, is they make their way into the cell. And in the case of yarrow, it tells the cell to inhibit the production of COX-2 uh, by the way it by the way it works in the cell, which inhibits the prostaglandins at the site of the injury, so the inflammatory response. Whereas an antibacterial oil would work in a different way. So garlic, for example, it works in two ways with infection. So it works to increase T helper cells and natural killer cells. So it's basically those cells are chasing down, you know, cells that are that are you know, bacteria or cancer cells that are not wanted in the body. Um, but it also, uh, when it gets to the bacteria, and inhibits the bacteria from making proteins, so it can't reproduce. Whereas clove will inhibit the bacteria from making sugar. So very often when I'm working with animals with resistant bacteria, that in bacterial infections that aren't responding to antibiotics, then they will often select garlic and clove together because they work amazingly as a synergy. And you must you must just get to the point where you're like, I know what they're going to pick. They're probably going to pick that. <laughs> well, it's gonna, what used to take um, several hours beforehand has got quite quick. So it, it is to the point that the more, the more you do this, the more you begin to... It's so much to take in, though, because you've got to know the, ins, the essential oils inside out. You also have to know about ethology, but in the way um, of how that animal reacts to the aromatics that you're offering. And each animal is case sensitive. So animals such as uh, greyhounds or collies or shepherds, uh, they're probably never going to want any essential oil applied topically. And when they work with the essential oils, it's often to begin with quite a distance. Because one, they have many, many uh, receptors in their nose, so they're taking in quite a lot. And they have a slightly different um, enzymatic physiology than perhaps some of the other animals or other dogs. So terriers, for example, might be more likely to lick an essential oil than a shepherd or deerhound or a greyhound or a collie. But if you look at conventional medicine, those dogs are much more sensitive to medication, you know, it's and, and anesthetics because their enzymatic profile is slightly different. And so a little bit goes a very long way with those dogs. So you're sometimes you don't see them sniff. 
you know, I hear people say, oh, as if they sniff an oil, they want it. And forget that. You know, hold the oil. Just look at their expression. Look at their breathing. Are they breathing it in deeper? If they sniff an oil, that's a huge dose because they're actually taking it in. And they would never do a curiosity sniff because their sense of smell is so intense that, you know, they can smell all the chemicals within a bottle of essential oil within the size of a football stadium that's enclosed. So to sniff an oil is a really strong dose. So you're looking at a slow blink uh, with some dogs. You're looking at the breathing. And then if they lay down, you're sort of looking at the reaction opposite afterwards. If they lay down, then you think, wow, that's going to be their A-list. And so, yeah, it's there is a skill involved, but that doesn't mean to say you can't begin offering oils, but you're going to get better results, more frequent results with a, a, more, a greater variety of dogs with more of a skill set. But it's reading all the different types of responses with the types of not only animals, but within that, you know, within that species. I love it. This is so fascinating and right up my alley. I know our listeners are loving this. How can they get in touch with you and find out more? Uh, I would say to go to my education site, which is, you know, go to carolineingerham.com. It is actually pointing at the moment to my shop, but hopefully in the next few days, it will be pointing to my education site. But if you end up in my shop, then you'll find the education there. Okay, great. Um, And I would say if you're getting oils, you know, if you're not getting them from me, make sure you get really super good quality oils because the animal is looking for the constituents within those oils to heal themselves. So they've got to be the top human grade that you can find because they're just not going to select it. Amen. Same thing with a full spectrum hemp extract or a mushroom extract, all of these things. So like we tell our listeners all the time to do their homework, make sure they have a COA or just go to your website where they know where they can choose things that they can trust and they don't have to worry about it. So if you don't want to do your own homework, go to her site. She's got it on there and will help you uh, choose a good product. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing so much of your knowledge. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for um, inviting me and letting me have a voice for self-medication. You bet. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please make sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening from. This is the best way to help pet parents like you find these episodes and get access to all our content. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Your Natural Dog and at AngelaArtolino.com. Introducing MycoDog, an award-winning line of medicinal mushroom extracts combined with adaptogens like ashwagandha, astragalus root, and bacopa monieri, made specifically for your pets. When it comes to mushrooms, sourcing really matters. Unlike other products on the market that are grown in China or elsewhere, the mushrooms in MycoDog tinctures are grown here in the United States to the highest quality standards. MycoDog offers three formulas designed to support senior dogs, as well as those suffering from dementia and canine cognitive disorder. 
breathing and respiratory issues, or autoimmune diseases and cancer. Use coupon code YNDPODCAST at mycodog.com for 10% off these fantastic fungi. 